Hey, would you take the Bibles that are in front of you or that you brought with you and turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, it's found in toward the end of the Bible, page 1801. James chapter 2, and I would ask you to take those out, really, and to also grab your sermon, not sermon, the worship folder, or a scrap of paper and a pen or a pencil, because I want you to do some homework during this time together. So while you're doing that, James chapter 2, get a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil. Um... I don't want to beat this uh, announcement uh, into, the, into the ground, but it was sort of funny to me that people said, well, John wants to go and lead this new denomination. John sees that as a prison sentence. He would not want to do that. Somebody called and said, does this mean he's not going to do my daughter's wedding? <laughs> I, I got to tell you this, these people, this time, is where I believe God has called us to be, where I thrill to be. Partly, we're, uh, we're launching a new series today that uh, we've been thinking about for a year, talking about for months. It's uh, based on a book by uh, Craig Rochelle. He talks uh, in the book, he starts the book by talking about how he was on an airplane flight that had two legs, went to two different places. The first leg... He's seated next to a guy named Travis who asks him uh, what he does. And when Craig says he's a pastor, Travis's immediate response was, I don't believe in God. I think Christians are hypocrites. I think they use religion as a crutch to avoid the real world. No disrespect. But I think Christians are the weakest people in the world. Craig was like, well, no disrespect taken. Uh, Obviously, the guy's an atheist. They had a great conversation. But on the next leg, Craig said that he sat down next to a young woman named Michelle, uh, quite anxious about a lot in her life, uh, nervous about flying, so she was chattering. She was having problems with a boyfriend who lived with her and was afraid of commitment about getting married. She was upset about money, her finances. She asked Craig after a while what he did for a living, and when he said, I'm a pastor, she didn't go, oh, like a lot of people do when I tell them that. She sort of lit up. She said, oh, good, good. You know, I believe in God. I met Jesus a long time ago. Then she started to share uh, the kind of confessional stuff in her life. She said she knew as a Christian that uh, being involved with her boyfriend in a way that they were living and sleeping together was not honoring God. And she also said, I want to get involved in a church and change, but I'm just so busy. And uh, she said she prayed a lot, usually at night, usually that her boyfriend would become a Christian. She said, if only he'd believe in Jesus, then maybe he'd want to marry me. She started to cry. And as she was uh, leaving the plane, she turned around and said, you know, I know my life doesn't look like what a Christian's life is supposed to look like, but I do believe, I do believe in God. Rochelle drove home that night and and said, so some people are atheists because they don't believe in God. And many others say that they believe in God, but they live in a way that leaves God out of their lives. They are Christian atheists. That's the title of Craig's book, Christian Atheists. It's the foundation for our series. 
I'd like to put that another way in the, in the passage you have in front of you from James. Talking about faith and atheism. Verse 14 says, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can that kind of faith save them? Suppose someone's without clothes or food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Somebody says, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I'll show you by faith, I'll show you my faith by what I do. This is the one, this next verse is the one that I would like you to underline in the Bible. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the devils believe that. And they shudder. You fool. Do you need evidence that faith without deeds is useless? You see... America is often described as a Christian nation, right? 94% of all Americans say that they believe in a supernatural being, in a God. So why is life in America anything like what we see on TV? I think it's because among that 94% are many who are Christian atheists. I'm going to define Christian atheists as people who believe in God but live as if God does not exist. People who believe in God, but live as if God does not exist. And the reason I was excited about this series, and I feel like I have some authority, is because, uh, like many of you, I believe that I am a recovering Christian atheist. That is, there are parts of my life where I say I believe in God, I actually do believe in God, but I live as though God does not exist in that part of my life. There's a, there's a disconnect. Maybe you would feel the same. Part of that is because I think we don't understand what Christianity really is. Christian is not a set of beliefs. Salvation by passing the test. A Christian is not a person who has had an emotional, I feel close to God experience. A Christian is not a person who has a list of do's and don'ts and keep score, and as long as they're doing better than the bottom 50%, they're okay. And if they get below the top, bottom 50%, they try harder. None of those, I believe, are what a Christian is. Too often, being a Christian in America becomes about labels, right? We see this on the campaign trail. We hear about liberal, liberals and born-agains. We hear about progressive and evangelical. But when we look at people of faith from the outside the primary labels that they use are legalists, judgmental, hypocrites. You've probably never heard that before. Someone saying that Christians are hypocrites. That is, they talk this way and they live that way. I would like for a second to stop preaching and start meddling. I'd like to give you a test. I'd like you just to write down five words, and that's why I had you bring out your pen Just write down five words that we'll put up on the screen one at a time and say Christian or Christian atheist in your life. Christian is a 10, okay? Christian atheist is a zero or a one. Christian or Christian atheist, rate yourself. You're not going to show this to anybody else. Let's start with uh, identity. Identity. Write down the word identity. 
I think if a person were close to God, if they were a follower of Jesus, and that was important in their life, when they said, what is your identity? They would say, I am a confident child of God. I got nothing to prove. I am loved by God all the time. Christian Christian atheist, whether they say it or not, would spend much of their time feeling ashamed or afraid or like they don't measure up or like if, oh, if you only knew who I was. Which one are you? Number two, you cannot talk about faith in America without talking about money. A person who is sold out for God following Jesus, when they, when they lived with money, these words would happen. They would say, I am content with what I have. A lot or a little, I'm content. They would say, I am responsibly stewarding what I give. I'm not over my head, and I'm not hoarding. And they would be able to say they are ludicrously generous. Ludicrously generous. Christian. Christian atheist would say, well... I'm one of those people who say, uh, I, I, uh, you know, on the bill it says, in God we trust well, in God we believe, in cash we trust. They live out of balance financially. There's a sense of guilt about their giving. They feel like they don't give enough. There is a sense of which, if I only had a little more, things would be okay. Where are you on that scale? Number three, the word body. We haven't fun yet. Body. A person who was beloved of God and feeling close to God would, uh, would believe that their body is a temple of the living God. God lives in them and that reflects the way that they treat their body. Not just sexually, but physically in their exercise, in their sleep, in their diet, in the way they use their body. People at the other end would say, God gave me this body, so it's my body. And in their diet, in their sleep, in their exercise, in their sexuality, pleasure, that day, rules them. Pleasure is the God. Number uh, number four, sharing. Sharing. This is particularly for Presbyterians who, uh, on, on the basis of a survey, Presbyterians share their faith with another person once every 17 years. <laughs> and, uh, and so, if you are in a dynamic living relationship with God and somebody asks you about it, you don't have to be Billy Graham. The Bible says... Just be ready, always ready to give an answer for the hope that's inside you. You would be able to talk about what God has done in your life. That's all. Invite them to join in the journey. If, if you are a Christian atheist, you would say, I believe in God, but my faith is private. It's so private, nobody else gets to hear it. It never comes up. If you ask me if I would rather talk about my faith or sex or politics... I would say, let's talk about sexual politics. It's a, it's a tough thing to talk about God. The, the, the last of these in our, our little test of you are, are you a Christian or a Christian atheist would be the word relationships. Relationships. 
whether it's the person seated next to you or the person that comes to your mind first, if you are a follower of God, a Christian, your relationships are marked by these two phrases. One, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Love your enemies. And the other is, in as far as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. Christian. Christian atheist, and and really I'm not walking from the Christians to the Christian atheist. Christian atheists um, would, would say, uh, you know, I, I believe in God, but uh, I, I really act out, uh, don't get mad, get even. It becomes difficult for me to forgive. I, I do love people, but it's still mostly about me. In terms of our identity and our money and our body and our sharing and our relationships, we live out or do not live out our faith. Now, what I'd like you to do is uh, to look at that list, look at your highest number and your lowest number, and turn to the person next to you and say, you dirty hypocrite. (laughs) I talked about what I think a Christian is not. Let me tell you this. I believe that being a Christian is trusting in Jesus Christ. Following Jesus in ways that over time, over time, allow Jesus to live in me and in you and through me and through you. So that over time, you begin to live like Jesus would live where you are right now. Okay? What's gone wrong with that? Corey prayed that we would inspire all generations to follow Jesus. How come we're not closer to Jesus, following with our lives as well as our mouths? I think the problem is that we follow Jesus in this world through enemy territory. Every effort we make wrecks everything. We want to, but we don't. The Apostle Paul spoke for me. He said, there seems to be this law of the universe at work. I want to do the good thing. I end up doing the bad thing. I hate doing the bad thing, but I end up doing it again and again and again. He said, I feel like a prisoner because he's following Jesus through enemy territory. If people were able to live out what they believe, to live it and not just believe it, then the kingdom of heaven would be becoming visible all around us. You'd see it in schools and in homes, and in supermarkets, in workplaces, in sports arenas, all around us. If we lived it, the kingdom of heaven would be becoming present. But I believe there is another power at work in this world. I believe, we believe, in the work of the evil one. The one who would split us off from God. And that enemy power knows your name. Three years ago, I I used this illustration that uh, helped me understand why I want to do something, but I don't. At West Point, they train cadets to become warriors, to lead wars, and they do that through war games. Often, the cadet commanders, captains, are given charge of battlefields and told to lead. And that war game sometimes will happen on a hill like this. 
to New York State, the captain, the cadet captain, is told that his job is to hold the top of that hill for just 40 hours, less than two days, and he's got enough troops to do it. He is the best and the brightest, and uh, he looks all around. He has a week to study the field, deploys his troops. The major in charge gives the order, and the war begins. Twenty-seven minutes later, the hill is taken. All the cadets are simulated dead. He's captured and in disgrace. At the end of that exercise, they all go back to the academy. The major who was watching the exercise takes the cadet back out to the hill. And they walk around the hill for miles while they talk about what went wrong. The major says, look at the hill. He goes, I did. I did. He says, no, you didn't. I did. No, you didn't. You went to the top of the hill. What you need to do is go all the way around the hill and see it from the perspective of the enemy. Well, if you go around this hill, this is the back. And when they got to the back, the major turned to him and said, what do you see? I see a hill. Well, do you see over there on the right, there's a little indentation. That indentation is where the water flows down the hill and that ravine that's formed is where the cadets against you were able to march up inside that that cut in the hill and be right at the top of the hill before you knew it. He said, son, the fundamental is to always, always put yourself in the position of the enemy and see where will they attack you because the way they will attack John is different than the way they'll attack Carol, is different than the way they'll attack Jean, is different than the evil one will come after Sue. The captain, I'm sorry, the major, was Omar Bradley, who becomes a four-star general in World War II. The cadet was William Westmoreland, who becomes a three-star general in Vietnam. Bradley never, ever forgot the lesson of the enemy. Westmoreland did. We become Christian atheists because we cannot defend our hill. Evil attacks up the ravines and knows that your battlefield is different than mine. But let me tell you, I, my whole point in this first idea of the Christian atheist is to show you the places where I believe the enemy is stopping you from living it out. Believing it, fine. Talking about it, fine. Living it, that's where the enemy goes into, goes into action. The first place where the enemy sneaks up on you, I believe, is the area of pride. I believe in God, but I want to be in control. I believe in God, but I am in charge. That's you. And the reason I know that's you is because that's me. That's all of us since Adam and Eve, where the serpent said, Did God really say that you had to do that? And she goes, Well, yeah, but... And then he says, No, God knows that if you do this, you'll be like God. You'll do whatever you want. I want to be in control. Pride in our lives is not necessarily arrogance. You don't look arrogant, usually. Pride is needing your own way instead of submitting. The Christian is one who does not only believe, but submits their money to God. 
does not just believe but submits their relationships to God. And so they forgive when they don't want to. They serve when they don't want to. They give another chance when they don't want to because they have submitted and said, not my will, but thine. Christian atheists say, not thy will, but mine. And it's very subtle sometimes. But the enemy has stopped you. The second place that I believe that the evil one attacks us is not through pride, but through fear. I believe many of you would say, I believe in God, but I'll admit it, that I don't trust God enough to act in faith. Faith is crazy. Faith is nuts. Whether it is saying, no, I know if I don't sleep with that man, he will never marry me. I know if I remain sexually pure, the guys will laugh at me. I know that if I tell the truth, they will fire me. I believe in God, but I'm afraid, so I don't trust God enough to act. This is not an emotion. This is not an emotion. It's that you see what the path of faith is, and you work around it, because that's scary to do that. And you stop. The, The third path that I believe the enemy uses most often in American Christianity is isolation. I believe American Christians lack a sense of accountability. Many of you are in small groups. That's great. Many of you have lots of friends. That's great. Many of you have spouses that love you. That's wonderful. But there is a lack of accountability in your life. There is a lack of encouragement or perspective in your life. And it's not because, oh, I'm just an introvert. That's got nothing to do with it. You cannot become a Christian rather than a Christian atheist if you are going it alone. Jesus tells us to pray, but he says, when two or three are gathered together, I'm there. Who in your life is saying to you, you know, you said to me a year ago that you wanted to do A. How's that going? Who in your life is saying to you, you screwed up again, I love you, come on, let's go. Who in your life is saying, I'm praying for you this week and I'll ask you about it next week? Pride, I believe in God, but I'm in charge. Fear, we believe in God, but we don't trust enough to act. And isolation, I'm going to go my way. I did it my way. Which ravine are you most susceptible to? Each of us are different. Look at the low score. Look at the ravines. Which one is the danger zone for you? If you can't tell, let's go back to that pride thing. I'm not painting a picture to make you feel guilty. I really am not. I'm I'm trying to set the stage for giving you the kind of life where what you believe is the way that you live. Jesus promises, come to me. Come to me, all of you, because you're weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you work to do. No. Come to me, and I will give you rest. I'll show you real life. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life in all its abundance. Not that you would have a belief system. I have come that you might have life beyond atheism. The next three weeks, we'd like to give you uh, three case studies of Christian, Christian atheist, and work on some principles together from that. Next week, I'd like to talk uh, together about the idea that I believe in God, we believe in God, but we don't want to talk about it. How would you talk about God?
The following week, we're going to talk about, I believe in God, but I trust in money. And the third week, because I will be out of the country, Brad is going to talk about sex. So, (laughs) I believe in God, but it's my body. We are together in this, friends. Really, we are. And the God who loves you believes in you and will not give up until what we believe comes out in how we live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me enough to make me feel uncomfortable sometimes. That you love my sisters and brothers here enough that you are willing to peel off some of the masks between what we say we believe and how we live. And in those ways that we are Christian atheists, I would ask that your truth would come and expose us, that your grace would come and forgive us, and that your power would come and show us, show us how to follow you in that area of life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, Amen.